Welcome to Kohelet, a podcast brought to you by the elder team of Maricopa Springs Family Church. Today we're looking at chapter 33 of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, titled The Gospel Call and Effective Call. And it concerns two questions. What is the gospel message and how does it become effective? Now this chapter discusses uh, the calling of God, and calling is an act of God, specifically God the Father. In 1 Peter 2.9, he calls us out of darkness. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, he calls us into the fellowship of his Son. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he calls us into his kingdom and glory. People called by God belong to Jesus Christ, Romans 1.6. In Romans 1.7, we are called to be saints. Galatians 5.13, we are called to freedom. In Ephesians 1.8, we are called to hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, we are called to holiness. We are called to uh, patient endurance of suffering in 1 Peter 2.20. And we are called to eternal life in 1 Timothy 6.12. Now, the calling is not via humans, uh, but it's a summons from the king of the universe. It's of such a power that it brings about the response that it asks of people's hearts. It's an act of God that guarantees a response. Why? Because those who are called were also justified, and we see that in Romans 8.30. It's an act of God that is often referred to as an effective calling, uh, different from the general gospel invitation that God calls uh, to all people and which some people reject. So let's begin uh, in Romans 8 with some uh, very familiar revelation from God. Verse 28, which is, uh, should be familiar to all of us, is a good starting point. Romans 8.28 reads, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So here there is foreknowledge. Uh, we have the doctrine of election. There is justification. There is glorification. But the one word that I want you to focus on with me right now is, is the word called. Uh, called in verse 28, those who are called. And in verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. Now one of the most simple words in the English language is the word call. We all understand the word. We, we use it in, uh, in, uh, uh, daily in, in our uh, interactions with others. And it's one of the more common words in our vocabulary. For instance, uh, we might call our kids to dinner in the hope that uh, they'll respond. Or we call our husband or our wife to dinner and hope that uh, he or she will respond. We might call our friends on the phone and, and hope that uh, they will answer. And, you know, it gets a little more important when a church calls, say, a pastor uh, uh, to see if he will accept the offer to come and shepherd them. And when you're called by, uh, let's say, your employer or your boss, the call becomes equally compelling and maybe some of us, or some of you have received a, maybe a summons from court 
A summons is a call you really shouldn't ignore because if you are summoned to court, you probably ought to show up or you may even get a visit uh, from law officers. Or maybe a little stronger than a summons is a subpoena. And a subpoena is a summons commanding the person designated to appear under a, uh, a penalty for failure to do so. And so what I'm saying is there's all kinds of calls. And are those sort of, uh, let's say, minimalist calls that you sort of meekly offer to someone uh, to get them to the table or to those phone calls you hope somebody might answer, all the way uh, to the far more serious calls, say, from your employer or from a church or uh, maybe a principal's office or a summons from a court or a subpoena with a threat for non-response. Uh, so there are increasingly more compelling kinds of calls. But in all these cases, you can still choose to ignore them. You can resist any of those calls and go on your way and do what you want. But you see, Scripture reveals a truth uh, about a call, uh, a summons that cannot be ignored and it cannot be resisted. It is the unyielding summons from God. It's a subpoena to appear before him in his court for the purpose of what? Of being declared righteous, being declared just, uh, having uh, all your sins forgiven, and being set free from any judgment or any condemnation. And this is the call that uh, we read about in Romans 8. It's a call that justifies. It is a call that comes according to his divine purpose. It is a call that comes to those who are predestined, those who are elect, those who are chosen. It is a call that leads through justification to eternal glory. Uh, theologians have called this call an effective call, an efficacious call, a determinative call, a decisive call, a conclusive call, an operative call, uh, or an irresistible call. It's a call to salvation, and it is a divine summons. It is a divine subpoena, not for judge judgment and not for punishment, but so that you can be declared righteous, free from condemnation, forgiven. It is a call to salvation. Now, the question here is, is, can this call be denied? Can this call be resisted? Is, uh, is there such a thing as non-compliance? Well, looking at verse 30, uh, it says, Whom he predestined, these he called. So this call is limited to those who are the elect. We're not talking here about a general call uh, or just a broad sweeping gospel call the kind of general call that the Apostle Paul talks about quoting the Old Testament prophet, nor are we talking about uh, Matthew 22, where many are called but few are chosen. We're, we're, talking, uh, we're not talking about uh, what we could call the general call of the gospel, uh, the outward invitation of the gospel. We're talking about something that comes only to the predestined and results in justification, and that is why it is called an efficacious call or an effectual call. Let's read Romans um, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you 
who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul himself is uh, actually a good example to look at uh, here for uh, this kind of call because when the call of God came on uh, the, the life of uh, the Apostle Paul, it was a sovereign, divine, gracious, and, ir and irresistible summons. He was slammed into the dirt on the road to Damascus with nothing to do but respond. He is called as an apostle. Now down in verse 6, he's talking about the obedience of faith. In verse 5, obeying the gospel, uh, among whom you also are called. So you are called the ones uh, uh, of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints, called holy ones. You are the called, the holy ones, the ones called out. Again, if we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.1, again, Paul uh, called uh, an apostle. He doesn't mean that's his title. He means he was called by God, by the will of God, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And again, it was not something that he could resist. Verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. So whatever this calling it is, uh, is it makes you a saint. In Romans 8, it justifies you. Here, it sanctifies you. And down in verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So you were called into the fellowship that you enjoy with the Lord Jesus Christ called by God. Over in verse 23, we see we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those uh, who are, and here it is again, the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now listen, if, if, if you are among the called, then when Christ crucified is preached, he becomes to you the power of God and the wisdom of God. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles it's foolishness, but to the called, whether Jew or Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the call that makes uh, the one called a, uh, a part of the called. If we look at verse 26, we read, Consider your calling. So consider it. Consider your summons. Consider your divine subpoena. We see, there are brethren, there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised uh, God has chosen. And there you have your calling. It is a calling based upon the fact that God has chosen. In fact, verse 30 sums it up by saying, By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So Christ becomes to you, becomes to us, the wisdom of God in righteousness and sanctification and redemption by his doing. He chose you, you are the predestined, and he called you. And whomever he predestines, he calls. And whomever he calls, he justifies and glorifies. We're, uh, so what we're talking about here then is about a calling into the fellowship of the saints and to fellowship with his son. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1 and we can look at the consistency of this truth. Uh, Galatians 1, uh, 6, uh, Paul says, I'm amazed. Now the Galatians were wandering off. They were being led astray by some false teachers, uh, though they were believers. And he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. 
And he is saying here that God called you to himself, summoned you to himself through the grace of Christ. And I'm amazed that you're wandering away from that, chasing after a deceptive, uh, distorted, and different gospel. In fact, down in verse 11, he says, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I neither received it from man, or was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. I used to be, persecute the church beyond measure, tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism. You see, Paul understood that he was uh, literally grabbed by the neck by God and awakened to the glory of Christ and saved and made an apostle. If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, again, so that we have an understanding uh, that this is a common New Testament language, Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, plead with you, or entreat you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, this cannot be a general call. This cannot be a call that you can take or leave. It's a calling by which you have been called that demands that you live your life a certain way. Uh, uh, therefore, it's a transformational calling. It's a justifying, sanctifying calling. And so that uh, you are to live with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another, and be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is that one body, that one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who was, who was over all and through all and in all. This is a calling to salvation and nothing else. This is a calling into the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God, the one Father of us all is a calling then that assumes a response of a life that has walked in a worthy manner. Whenever you see the idea of a call to salvation in the New Testament epistles, it is always uh, this efficacious, effectual, determinative, operative, and saving call. Let's look at uh, Colossians 3.15. And here it says in this uh, familiar verse, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So here again, you were called into the body of Christ. You were called to peace through Christ, who now rules in your heart. And if we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and again he says what he says in Ephesians 4, that you may walk in a manner worthy of God, and then listen to this, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. My friends, this is a call to fellowship. This is a call into the relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a call to holiness. This is a call into the body of Christ to join with the one Spirit, the one Lord, the one faith, the one God and Father of all of us. And this is a call into his kingdom and glory. Some more scripture here, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, uh, actually starting at verse 13. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, uh, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. See, that's the great doctrine of election. God has chosen you from the beginning, before time began, in the councils of eternity. Inside the Trinity, God chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. In verse 14, and it was for this he called you. You were called because you were chosen. You were called because you were chosen from the beginning for salvation. 
you were chosen uh, you were chosen to be uh, sanctified by the spirit you were chosen to put faith in the truth and he called you to that uh, through our gospel in order that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ so there you have it again election led to calling which led to salvation to justification to sanctification and final glorification Again, verse 14, it was for this he called you through our gospel. Well, for what? That you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So putting it all together, whomever it is that the Lord calls, he calls into his kingdom. Whomever it is he calls, he calls to salvation. He calls to faith in the truth. He calls to sanctification by the Spirit. And he calls to eternal glory. This is a saving call. 2 Timothy 1.9, uh, 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 we see that uh, uh, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, uh, and that's two ways to say this, the, the same thing, God who has saved us and God called us with a holy calling. And it doesn't say God who called us with a holy calling and because we responded, he saved us. It doesn't say that. It says he saved us, which is to say he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our own purpose and grace, grace which is granted us in Christ uh, Jesus before time began. So there you go back again. He calls whom he predestines and elects, and it's an unmistakable teaching of Scripture. Another rich, uh, wonderful verse is 1 Peter 2.9, and it says that you are a chosen race, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Wow, you know, a chosen race, a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people's for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, maybe when you study your Bible, uh, uh, every time you come across this word called in the epistles, you're going to see it jump off the page. This is not a wishful act on God's part to call you. It's not like calling the kids for dinner. This is an efficacious, effectual, determinative, operative call. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He didn't call you out of darkness hoping you'd come. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's where you went when he called you. When he called you, you came into his court and you were declared just. When he called you, you came into his body and became a part of the body of Christ. When he called you, you came into the fellowship when he called you, you became holy. When he called you, you were sanctified. When he called you, it was so that you would finally be glorified. Verse 21 says that you were called for this purpose, to follow in the footsteps of Christ. It was a call to live your life following the example of the Savior. First Peter 3, uh, 8 and 9 continues, be, uh, be harmonious. Verse 8, be sympathetic, be brotherly, be kind-hearted, be humble in spirit. Don't return, uh, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. Give a blessing instead. For where, uh, uh, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So this is the call that made you into a person who could be a blessing. This is the call that brought you into a life that you are to walk worthy of. This call has an effect. This is, this is so amazing. Let's look at some more scriptures. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.10. After you suffer for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
Uh, what a statement. God has called you to justification. He's called you to sanctification and holiness. He's called you to communion and fellowship with the saints. He's called you to live a godly and virtuous life and, and walk worthy of your calling and adorn his name. And he has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And he called you uh, because he chose you and he predestined you to this end. Second Peter uh, 1-2 goes on to say, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Listen, uh, who, listen to this. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. He called us by his own glory. He called us by his own excellence. And he gave us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Oh, it's just, this is just uh, um, amazing uh, 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 truth here. You know, uh, a preacher or a pastor can call a person to repentance. And this preacher or pastor can plead with people to come to salvation in Christ. We can do our best. You know, prophets have and apostles have and preachers still do. And that's a general outward plea, but very different than the inward call that saves. And finally, Hebrews 3.1, so here's the difference. Uh, Therefore, holy brethren, here it is. Partakers of what? What is the word? A heavenly calling. We're not talking about the preacher here. We're not talking about God. This is a divine calling, a heavenly calling. You are holy because of this divine calling. And this is a glorious truth. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a calling of God that results in a person's salvation. And I will say it again. Every use of the word call with regard to salvation in New Testament epistles refers not to a general outward call, but to a specific inward, efficacious, saving act of God. It is in that sense an unyielding summons from God that you will respond to, and that is why uh, some theologians have called it irresistible grace. Now, Scripture doesn't actually use that word, irresistible grace. It uses the word call, and uh and I like the idea of an unyielding summons because that emphasizes God's unyielding saving work rather than man's resistance. But nonetheless, it, it does fit uh, uh, the outline in Calvin's theology of irresistible grace. Uh, when God seeks to save and call a sinner out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the question then becomes, uh, can the sinner resist? And the answer is no. God has predetermined this, predetermined this by his own purpose in eternity past. He has assigned salvation to some, and he reaches out to save them through this call. He calls them out of darkness. He calls them out of unbelief. He calls them out of confusion and chaos. He calls them out of sin and unholiness. This is God's sovereign saving call. And he is unyielding and exercising his power to make the elect sinner come into his court come in and be presented as forgiven and justified and on the way to eternal glory. So this calling makes us willing. Uh, but the question is, what is it that made us willing? Uh, or better, who made them willing? What, was it uh, them? Was it the preacher? That's what we would have uh, to conclude in that kind of a system. But somehow, uh, in the end, and somehow, though they were not willing, they became willing, they found somewhere they could get a hold of a 
bootstrap and pull themselves up out of unwillingness into willingness, where the preacher smashed their resistance and by his preaching he made them willing. Of course, you know, none of this applies and none of this is true. Uh, we, we, there's a little verse uh, uh, in Psalm uh, 110, and um, it's uh, 110, uh, verse 3, and it says, Your people will be willing in the day of your power. Your people will be willing in the day of your power. And what this means is no sinner is ever going to be willing until the power of God comes upon that sinner. There's nothing in a sinner to make him willing. There's nothing in a sinner, even under the best of, of, of the preacher's effort. It is only when the power of God makes him willing that he becomes willing. And, you know, can we be sure about this? Absolutely. No sinner has the capacity to be willing. We see this very easily in Romans 3.10. There is no, uh, no, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks God. Well, that's uh, pretty complete, isn't it? All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does uh, good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues uh, they keep deceiving. The poison of ass was under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their paths, and the path of peace have not, uh, they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's, that's just a, a very sad, sad condition. And that's a broad way to say that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Nobody seeks God. Nobody on their own is willing. Uh, and here's why. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't respond. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit uh, working in the sons of disobedience. You lived in the lust of our of your flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. Now that's that's uh, that's who we are um, without God's uh, effective calling. Uh, you know, utterly unwilling uh, to uh, respond or even to seek God. And I think this is what could uh, uh, go a long ways to uh, defining what, uh, what we would mean by the, uh, the, the uh, term total depravity, uh, the uh, utter inability of the sinner to be willing. So no sinner left to himself is able. No sinner left to himself is willing to understand. Uh, no sinner is willing to repent or willing to believe or willing to choose God, to choose Christ in salvation. Corruption is far too uh, profound and too uh, spiritually systemic. We can't choose that. We can't seek it. The sinner only becomes willing in the day of divine power. God must... Uh, display his divine power in summoning us and giving us the will to believe. He must make us willing. Your people will be willing in the day of your power. But when God calls us, it's, it's not that the sinner is going to come kicking and screaming and protesting and trying to resist because when the summons comes from God, the sinner is made willing. 
In fact, it is the passion of his heart. When the gospel comes, the sinner is so eager to respond. As lost sinners, people have the freedom of the will. That's right. Their will is, uh, look at them, uh, uh, look at the sinners. They operate freely. And what do they do? They choose to sin. Uh, they just kind of pick and choose which ones. The lost sinner has the freedom of the will. In salvation, we also have the freedom of the will. But instead of choosing sin, we choose Christ. And the difference is because we have been summoned with a divine call. Uh, I like what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, what we choose is not really determined by the will as if it ex existed independently. Uh, what we choose, Edwards says, is really determined by the mind and, and what it is that the mind thinks is best. And by the way, the mind is not neutral and the mind... Uh, is not objective. The mind is corrupt. So what the mind thinks is best is what we choose. We are free to choose what our mind thinks is best, and apart from God and apart from Christ, our mind is corrupt, and it thinks that sin is best. Edwards goes on to say, when confronted with God, the mind of the sinner never thinks that following or obeying God is a good choice. The sinner's will is never to choose God. Nothing is stopping him, but his mind doesn't regard submission to God and the gospel is desirable, so that unless God changes the way we think, our mind will always tell us to rebel against God and the gospel, which is what we do. The sinner will resist until the kind of grace comes out of heaven as a heavenly call. You see, grace is much more than irresistible. The Bible doesn't call this, ir this irresistible grace. It calls it a heavenly calling, a calling to holiness, a calling to sanctification, a calling to justification, a calling to communion with the saints, a calling into the body of Christ, and uh, and that word just you know really underdefines it. How about just calling it a saving call? This is God's gift to us, Ephesians two eight and nine. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no one should boast. The whole thing's a gift from God. The whole thing uh, comes as a gift uh, from God to us. And I love what it says in Philippians uh, 1.29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. You see, it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ to believe. The call brought you to faith. The call brought you to understand. It brought you to conviction, to repentance, to faith. And clearly this is a saving call and nothing less uh, then that makes any sense uh, of the scripture. In Acts uh, 13.48, where it says, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, well, how did uh, those that were appointed to eternal life believe? Because God called them out of their ignorance. He called them out of their confusion. He called them out of their darkness. He called them out of their iniquity. He called them out of their sin. And the call was... Uh, an effective, an efficacious call uh, uh, activated by the power of God that brought them into the light, into the truth, and into the repentance, and into faith. It's like uh, Lydia in Acts uh, 16.14. It says, the Lord opened her heart. You know, I, I, I love that. The Lord opened her heart. That is an efficacious call. The Lord opens the mind and the heart and the one who is unwilling becomes willing. Acts 18.27 says, uh, 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 Paul help, uh, helped greatly those 
who believe through grace. So we could just call it grace. It is the grace that actually saves. The sinner can't change his will, can't move his will towards God. Uh, do you remember John 1.12? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, nobody uh, would will that unless God first willed it and activated, activated it. And it isn't because the sinner comes to his senses. It isn't because the sinner is persuaded by clever preaching or an emotional appeal. Uh, you know, those are, uh, I think, can be, uh, you know, deceptive, deceptive uh, illusions. It isn't because you're so nice or you, or you made Jesus look so nice. People are saved because God summons them, and he summons them under the proclamation or the understanding of the gospel. The gospel alone is what God uses to awaken the sinner, and he makes them willing, whereas he has never been willing before. The gospel call, the effective calling. So in this chapter, we've, uh, we've looked at the elements of the gospel call. Uh, uh, the explanation of the facts concerning salvation. Uh, all people have sinned. The penalty for our sin is death. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose from the dead and is alive today. In this chapter, we've, we've, uh, we've discussed the invitation to respond to Christ personally in repentance and faith. And uh, we've looked in this chapter at a promise of forgiveness and eternal life. And, uh, and then we've uh, discussed uh, the importance of the gospel call. At the end of this chapter, on page 846, there's some questions for personal application. I'd, li I'd like to just read these questions. Uh, 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 question one, can you remember the first time you heard the gospel and responded to it? Can you describe what it felt uh, like in your heart? Do you think the Holy Spirit was working to make that gospel call effective in your life? Did you resist it uh, the first time? Question two, in your, uh, in your explanation of the gospel call to other people, have, have some elements been missing? If so, what difference would it make if you added those elements uh, to your explanation of the gospel? Do you think those elements are important to add? What, what is the one thing most needed to make your proclamation of the gospel more effective? Uh, question three, before reading this chapter, had you thought of Jesus in heaven speaking the words of the gospel invitation personally to people even today? If non-Christians do begin uh, to think of Jesus speaking to them in this way, how do you think it will affect their response to the gospel? And then finally, do you understand the elements of the gospel call clearly enough to present them to others? I love this question. Could you easily turn to, uh, uh, in your Bible to find uh, four or five uh, appropriate verses that would explain the gospel call clearly to people. And uh, we've discussed today, you know, many verses uh, that do just that. So, um, again, uh, I will just finish by saying it is God and God alone that saves. Uh, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our salvation. Uh, that uh, the gospel call uh, is effective. God has his way always uh, according to his will and those that who he elected those who he chose uh, and it's those who he saved uh, and called them uh, in a way that uh, our response could only be uh, yes lord yes lord so blessings and uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you uh, again